0: Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, depending on where you are. Welcome to Podcasty with Ryan. My name is Ryan, the right Ryan, and I am here today interviewing Angeline. More specifically, breaking the silence with Angeline. We're going to talk about domestic violence. We're going to talk about uh, the clues. The ways to seek help, how to advocate for yourself, how to be how to prosper, and she will have a lot of information because she's lived it firsthand. We do have all the episodes uploaded. I've done eight episodes now. I can't believe it. This is episode nine. So please check those out if you haven't. Thank you for all your feedback on the podcast. Um, It's of course appreciated. Um, You know, we're always trying to do better The audio, the questions, me speaking up louder Some people said some of my questions it was hard to hear me So I'm going to take all that into consideration But most importantly, I'm just glad that you are listening live on TikTok Or you're listening to the replay on one of the streaming apps So, most importantly is my guest here, Angeline Good evening, beautiful, how are you?
1: Oh good evening, Ryan. I am feeling absolutely fantastic. How are you? And I'm thank good. you for having me on your podcast show.
0: My pleasure. I love the podcast because I just get to sit and watch. I'm not the one, you know, putting on the show and dancing around. You you are the one that's gonna inspire and teach tonight. So let's uh let's start here with some basics. Where are you from?
1: Okay, I was actually born and raised in Minnesota, and now I live in upstate New York in Saratoga Springs.
0: Okay. And, you know, I I mentioned just briefly, scratching the surface here, about your advocacy with domestic violence and, you know, rebuilding and thriving. Growing growing up, because sometimes these patterns repeat themselves – Growing up, did you grow up in an environment where you saw domestic violence?
1: Actually, that's a good question, and the answer is no. I did not see domestic violence um, when my parents raised me, but I did see male domination, meaning that, you know, my mom would do what my dad said, basically. So it wasn't, I, you know, I didn't see it as domestic violence. It was just like male domination so yeah,
0: yeah, that's, so that, that's that's very common for mm-hmm. that generation um with my grandparents i mean my, when my grandpa said something, my grand <laughs> she was right there doing it, so but i'm but that's that's a good thing that you didn't grow up around that, I mean, that's not something that you know we want to check off the list, so um. Yours was not really generational then.
1: No, not really generational, no. No, but like, you know, yeah, patriarchy. You know, my parents came from the old school. So that's just, you know, from generation to generation.
0: And with that male domination, um, back then, did you see that as normal? Or even then, were you like, this is he's steamrolling her or were you just like, this is just the way it is. And did you carry that into any part of your adult life?
1: You know what? That's a good question. Um,
0: Oh honey, I've always got good questions.
1: You have good questions. That's a good one. (laughs) No one has ever asked me that question. You know, I I could say, I could say this. I feel somewhat, maybe it was ingrained, like not ingrained, but you know, like ingrained. And that was the way it is the way it was in the Greek culture yeah I didn't want to live that way though because I had actually I moved to New York in 1985 and the reason was at that time because you know me I was 21 I wanted to get away from my parents I wanted to be on my own living in New York and I was working for my uncle and my uncle you know was single and you know he was completely different the opposite just, you know, just basically let me do what I want. And I went to school, went to college, and then I joined a church group. So this is where it started. We met at a church function. <clears throat> My ex and I, yeah, at that time, we were just, we were just friends actually for a while. And then, uh, the clear blue, he asked me out.
0: <laughs> okay. So. So from Minnesota. I know this is a crazy
1: journey, everyone. So, yeah. rebel! I was a rebel. You could, yeah. You could. the
0: Yes. Yeah. So, you went from Minnesota to New York, and wow. you were you were ready to um, be much more independent. Not have you know your dad or a male figure looking over you, watching you, um, telling you what to do, per se. Um you mentioned you you met you met this man at church, right? right? Okay, and when you first met him, did you get the sense that he was of the old school too or did he seem yeah. quite quite uh progressive?
1: Progressive? In fact, he owned his own business and he was making six-figure income. So he worked in... Yeah, he had his own business, advertising business, and that appealed to me because I was actually going to college at that time, majoring in marketing, business marketing. So... And I was, you know, very young and that he didn't, you know, display anything like that, just displayed a lot of love and warmth and everything. Um, So...
0: And is that typical of a lot of abusers in the early stages?
1: Yes, and they hide it. They hide. The abusers hide that in the beginning. They um I found out, well, we got married at the Justice of the Peace, but basically I moved out of my uncle's house and I and I lived <clears throat> on his 38-foot Carver Mariner boat for yacht for one year. And because I just wanted to, it it was, I don't know. It was just something that he felt that he wanted. Um, I wanted it too. So it was like that we both like clicked in the beginning. Um, But you know, as time went on, he started to show signs, meaning he hid them in the beginning. And
0: yeah. Why do they do that?
1: I think they do that because of low self-esteem and they do that because you know now that thinking back on that, he like he would basically put down his cousins like he didn't want to go to a wedding, he didn't want to do this, didn't want to do that. and um, he actually sought my advice, so I said just to do do what's you know best for you. but when we started working together, then he started to display, that narcissistic type behavior he would gaslight me at times and he would accuse me of I mean I brought in business so we worked together worked in New York City I went out on the road and I brought in the money meeting I went out and got clients and you know it was it was okay at first but then later on when we bought the house um And not where I live now, but in in Brinebeck, New York. He was manipulative at times and very controlling, but I just didn't realize it at the time.
0: I just. So how long was he of the kind, charismatic? How long did that last?
1: I would say that lasted about a year, about a couple of years.
0: And that kind of. Why did why do they do that? I mean, why not just be an asshole from day one? I mean (laughs) They just
1: don't. I don't know. It is the strangest thing because I thought that he you know, like he I thought that he really cared about me and loved me for who and loved me for who I am. And
0: and my point it's, in asking this is, that yeah. the, the being kind early on is is fairly typical for people who are listening, who might say, "Wait, my husband was also quite the charmer to begin with." So that's why I asked you that because I wonder if other women out there who are in the midst of you know trying mm-hmm. to sort this out, if they see these warning signs, love bombing—that's an interesting
1: term. love bombing. That's it. That's it. That's it. Yes, it was love bombing. He would love bomb me all the time. And then sometimes he would ignore me. That's the gaslighting. So, yeah. And, um, I didn't know any better at the time and I thought that it was, it was just something that I had to deal with. And
0: so this is is really deep, but so you mentioned his, you know, you mentioned his income and he was mm -hmm. doing well. Um, did you ever feel a sense of, oh well, he's supposed to take care of me. He has, he makes the money, so he, I'm being taken care of. Was there any of that type of feeling, or was that not? Because you mentioned your father was very,
1: yeah, ...charged. Well, yeah, he was. Good. Well, I this this is what I said back then that he was a good provider, a good provider. So. And, um, so he took care of me. So I, you know, like I, when I, you know, like we didn't have a partnership in the business, so I brought in the money, but then he had control of the finances. Right. He had control of the finances. So that
0: part concerned me. So, So that didn't
1: sit well with you from day one. No, it didn't sit well with me. Then I I said, you know, what do I... And I didn't really know what to do because I did... Because later on, it got progressively worse. It got progressively worse. And to make a long story short, in 2000... When was it? I think it was in 2004. He decided to semi-retire his business. So that gave me an opportunity... To go out to work in corporate America to make a name for myself and to claim my identity back because I felt that I lost my uh, sense, of, sense of my self
0: identity and self worth. So when you when you when you got married, did you feel a hundred percent sure you made the right decision?
1: Yes
0: or, or did you feel you had some red flags and you just ignored them? Or did you <laughs> I, feel this is the right thing? Yeah,
1: I felt that there were a couple of red flags, but I ignored it. I ignored it.
0: And what were those red flags?
1: The red flags were that he would gaslight me. I didn't know any, I didn't know at the time. I didn't know any better at that time. So, you know, like he would ignore me or he would, you know, like say something that's sarcastic. And then he would apologize after that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So. So so you're in. So you're into the marriage and. In your recollection, what was one of the first instances where your eyes. Were really open that this could become a very dire situation.
1: Okay. So in 1999, this was a December. I um, was lying in my bed and he was just really angry at me for no reason. He was basically, and I don't even remember what it was, but he was angry at me for no reason and started to, you know, put me down and started to call me names and the C word and all that. So I said, you know what? And I'm crying there. I'm just lying there crying. And so I decided, so I said, you know what? I'm going to just get up because we had a four bedroom house. So I said, I'm just going to get up and walk into the other room and just sleep in one of the beds and just let him cool off. And um, unfortunately, I did not make it in the other room. I, As I was walking, he, there was a wall, there was like a, a wall, and you had to like turn the corner, and he grabbed me from behind the neck, and he threw me against the wall, and I fell backwards, and I was bleeding, and I had a broken nose, and he ended up taking me to the emergency room, which is not unusual, so... Yeah, it, it, a few minutes, he like waited a few minutes. He was, and he looked at me and I was like, and I was crying. And I didn't think that I was going to make it that night. Um, But I could, and I was in ICU for the entire night. So he took me to the emergency room at 11 p.m., like 11, 11.30, And we didn't leave until four in the morning because I was in ICU. I was, yeah, it was really bad. It was real, They bandaged me up and they kept me there. Um, I was in intensive care. And then the surgeon, they called the surgeon. And the surgeon came and he said, you are going to need reconstructive nose surgery. So three days later, yeah, well, went home and I slept most of the day. And then three days later, I was back in the hospital again. For reconstructive nose surgery.
0: Okay. So there's a lot to unpack there. So yeah. when when this happened.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Let's first say. What was his reaction after it happened?
1: That he felt gu- It seemed to me. That he felt guilty. Of you know like pushing me. Like you know like. Doing that, he just lost his cool. He lost it. And I, and you know, God, and I, you know, I'm grateful to this day that I'm alive because, you know, I just looked up in the ceiling and I said, God, please save me. I said, I just, I don't want to die because I was in a lot of pain. There was a lot of pain here, black and blue. And I even took photos of it just, you know, because I had my phone with me. So I just happened to have my phone and I took pictures as, you know, evidence. Because later on, when I decided to file for divorce, I presented the pictures and everything. So as evidence. Yeah. So I, I kept a record, you know, so it it was just like, you know, I felt like the whole world was crumbling, the whole world.
0: Did you tell, did you tell anyone about this?
1: Um, no I did not the the police asked me and I said they asked me this and I made an excuse and I said I fell down the stairs
0: and that's fairly typical early on for women right
1: right it is
0: why why did you feel the need to lie
1: well I I was scared I was scared and felt ashamed so that's not unusual um what, but that's,
0: why would you feel ashamed for being physically why would you feel ashamed for being physically abused
1: that's a good that's a good question. I didn't want to tell my parents I didn't want to tell anyone like no one knew i um you know just the police asked me, and the sergeant you know he he they just I don't think the sergeant believed me, to be honest with you. The New York State Police, he didn't believe me, but he just... There was nothing that they could do. There was nothing... You know, they couldn't press charges. And, you know, had I looked back and, you know, one of the advice... One advice that I would give to a woman, if that happens to you, call the police. Just, you know, I didn't feel strong enough to do it at the time. So... Right, right. I, I felt ashamed and I wasn't really financial financially set because we were still working together. So that is why. I think if if I were in a different position where I was working, you know, for a company, then I probably would have just turned them into the police.
0: If you would have told your parents, do you think they would have tried to brush it under the rug and say, you know, just it, it's just a one time thing, he didn't mean it, blah, blah. or do you think they would have been like, "Oh my gosh, come home. You can stay with us. You can
1: Yeah. Come home. They would say come home, stay with us. Okay. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh
0: yeah. So So after the after the reconstructive surgery, obviously you go, you're still married, you're back home. Did you just um tr- did you both just not talk about it anymore and just say that was a one and done and like, don't bring it up again. Or did you say, you know, that really bothered me. That that really hurt me. You did that. Or did you just say that was just a one-time thing. Everybody makes mistakes and we're going to move. How did you, how did you move on? How did you normalize?
1: Yeah, that's a good question. You know what? That is a good question. I, um, from what I recall, I recall that he apologized again, the apology. And he promised me that he would never do that again. Um, so, you know, things were, you know, good for a while. And um, he, you know, he seemed to be like more accommodating, but then something like we would travel sometimes and he would get upset if you know, we got lost or something like that. So he would just say something, you know, like sarcastic. It was, there was a lot of verbal There was verbal abuse. And when he semi, when he decided to retire his business, I think that's where, you know, that's where problems really started because when I went out to work in corporate America, I made a name for myself. I was going to function. I was going to events. I was going to networking events by myself. And I made a name for myself and he became very jealous and resentful. So instead of feeling proud of me, the opposite happened. So that's where, because I was making the money, I made more money than he did. And, um, so, you know, then it really turned, yeah, it really got worse when in 2008, the stock market crashed. And we lost over a hundred thousand dollars.
0: In Would, did he want you? Did he say to you, "Hey, you know, I'm semi-retired. Do you want to be a stay-at-home, or did he want you to work?"
1: He was going back and forth with it, to be honest with you. But I, he wanted me to stay home and go out on the boat and do this and do that. And you know what? I didn't want to do it. I was a lot happier. Working And I, in fact, I worked for a direct mail advertising company out of Baltimore, Maryland. So I was traveling a lot and, you know, I would go to functions and, um, you know, and he didn't he yeah. didn't go with.
0: Me. I think you need to give yourself some credit that in the midst of this abuse, you still had some spark in yourself. Yeah. I mean, I'm going to work. I'm going to you just didn't completely lay down like a rug to him.
1: Oh, no, 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 no. I was no longer going to be a doormat.
0: And where do you think that spirit came from?
1: I think that spirit came from within. It came from within. And because I was like when I, you know, like when I would be out without him, I felt at that point that I could live on my own, I could live on my own and just be my own person because it, it was just, it 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 was too, it, it was just really bad. It was really bad. It reached the point where in 2011, not 2011, but in 2010, two months before I decided to file for divorce, I called the police one night because it became so unbearable. And we were, you know, downstairs on the main floor and I had the phone with me and he said something and he tried to spit at me and I called 911. I did it right in front of him and he was like, oh my goodness, you know, he was like, like stunned, you know what I mean? And then the police came and, you know, they asked, they said, you know, they said, can you go someplace tonight? So I booked because I had some money stashed away. So I I said I can, you know, go to a hotel. So I went to a hotel across the river. Um and I actually had a free night because I accumulated so many points from, you know, staying in hotels through my employer, former employer. So um so the police actually helped me put the suitcase in the car in the trunk of the car. Yeah, and they kept him inside. They said you stay inside. And so that's when, you know, so when I, you know, I drove to a hotel and I stayed for the night and then I came back the next day and he apologized, which at that point I wasn't, I didn't believe him. I didn't believe him. Then I, I knew that this was going to be the beginning of the end.
0: Did just, and not to focus on the abuser, but did he from what you've collected, just to kind of gather a bio on both people, did he come from a family of domestic abuse?
1: No. No, he didn't. No. He came from a Greek family too. It's...
0: Because a lot of times you this is repeated behavior.
1: It is, but I do remember when he shared this story with me, he shared... That when he was like five years old, he was in his bedroom and whatever he was doing, and his mom came in and threw a shoe at him. Hmm. Yeah. So, yeah, so that was probably, you know, that may have stuck in his head, you know what I mean? Right. Like it was okay to hit, like it was okay, you know, to be, um, you know, violent. But that happened to him. He told me, and he even told me too. And I don't think he ever recovered from that.
0: Okay. So after the hotel incident, how long after that did you file for divorce?
1: It was two months. It was, let me just think. It was two months after. So I filed for divorce in May of 2010. I said to myself, what good is the money if I'm miserable? Number one. and Number two, I um, wanted to be free. I wanted to have my own independence. And I found out, you know, before I filed for divorce proceedings that he commingled funds, meaning that he would write out balance transfer checks against our credit card, our credit, which turned into $50,000 in debt. So, I didn't know that this was happening. I, you know, I,
0: he did this before you filed. Yep. Yes.
1: Yeah. He was buying like, you know, like those credit card deals where they give you the cat. Yeah. The, so he, you know, so he wrote out checks for $10,000, $20,000 it mounted up to 50 K in debt. And at that point, I was just like, you know what? I said, I'm not going to put up with you anymore. And I didn't tell him that I was filing for divorce because the police said, don't say anything. So I just, I got a recommendation of a really, really good lawyer from a friend of mine. And I wrote out my own check for $5,000 to start the divorce proceedings. So I didn't really have that much money. I mean, I was basically living like a gypsy and that, and you know, when that happened though, I, that was the pivoting moment. And I realized that I could live on my own and I had to make a plan and and take steps. So, you know, to protect myself. So I had to go to family court. I had to file a um, limited order of protection you know, against my ex because when we went to court, he was, you know, he was served the papers. We went to court and then I made a plan to drive up here to Saratoga Springs because I made plans to stay with a friend for the weekend. So I already had that plan in place. And yeah, so I, you know, I always say have an exit plan in
0: place. So when you when you filed if you made a list of these are the reasons mm-hmm. I'm getting divorced what was the what would be on top the top reason on the list
1: the top reason would be financial abuse because i was financially devastated there was physical abuse he actually only hit me one time and that was the time i was in the hospital the rest was verbal abuse ma- manipulation. He took control of the finances. So there was, you know, financial abuse that I was financially devastated. I basically, you know, I had to switch bank accounts because I remember driving to the bank one day because I wanted to go get some money out of the account. It was too late. He drained the bank account because it was in both names. So I only had like $25 to my name and I, um, opened up my own account for $20. And then the court ordered him to pay me alimony because I was not working. I had lost my corporate job because of him. And um, so I, you know, I was living on basically $1,000 a month. Yeah, I was living, you know, uh, on $1,000 a month. So that, which is not much. I mean, today that, that's starvation. You know what I mean? So,
0: I've heard more women than I can remember in podcasts I've listened to in interviews and even celebrity interviews that the physical abuse sometimes is not as impactful as the emotional or the financial, that that abuse is sometimes worse.
1: Oh, it is. Absolutely. Absolutely. The financial is worse. It is. It is. I mean, I was in the hole financially. $50,000 in the hole.
0: So some women, you know, they leave and then they go back and then they leave and then they go back. I mean, you see this. Did you ever have a temptation or second guess that maybe this isn't right? Maybe I should. This is just this is so risky, Angeline. Maybe I should just go because so many women do go back yes
1: and i want to bring that out yes there are women who do go back but in this case i reached my breaking point and i said i am not going to go back i am just going to press forward and do what i have to do and this was not because you know court is not easy the judges basically try to shove it under the the carpet, you know, and they want both parties to settle. And we eventually we did settle, but that was a year later. So for that year, I was sleeping in people's houses. I was sleeping on sofas. I was sleeping in a motel room. Um, and you know, however, though, during that time, that's when I started to get involved in Facebook and the online space. And I started to pick myself back up again and, you know, take like free courses, personal development. I got involved in a health and wellness company that changed my life and that kept my mind occupied. And I was basically building my business by side hustle behind closed doors. He didn't know anything about it. So, I mean, I'm living on a thousand dollars a month alimony. That's not much. Because you know, because of the fact that I was, even though you know I was living upstairs, um, I wasn't really home that much.
0: I wasn't really there. So, so you never. So that's great. You never had a. Uh, I don't divorce remorse. I don't know the word. You never wanted to. <laughs> you never. You never thought. No, I need to. I, I should go back, or let me see if he's changed. Okay, good no. for you. Now, in terms of familiar, uh, familial support, did you 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 mentioned some friends? Did you have parent backing, or were they still the generation that you were just ashamed or embarrassed to tell them, or were they right there? Oh, no, they were right
1: there with me. I told them, I told them that I was going to file for divorce, and I found out from my first cousin who called me, she said your mom just called. I said, well, why would my mom call you? (laughs) So she goes, because your soon to be ex-husband called her and upset her and basically admonished me, talked behind my back, was putting me down, said that I was crazy, said I was a lunatic, you know, she needs help. And Wow! Boy, that was like I, I yeah.
0: <laughs> so your parents, your parents were had your back the whole time during the divorce. Oh yeah, they
1: had my back the whole time. Yes, because
0: unbelievably, some parents say, "Oh well, you need him, or we like him, or you know, don't stain our family name." You know, any that kind of crap.
1: Right, that was crap, all right, and I didn't like it. Then I called my parents after my cousin called me. And I told him, I said, I'm so, you know, my mom was like crying on the phone because she really took it. I, I said, I don't know what to say, but all I'm going to do is I'm going to, you know, I said, I may have to borrow some money in the meantime. I mean, I, they, I did have to borrow some money from them, you know, so I could live And they were more than happy to help. So I covered the first $5,000 retainer and then they paid the balance of the divorce. So the whole it cost me ten thousand five hundred dollars to, yeah, to finally get have, rid of
0: them. Do you have siblings.
1: I do oh, have no. a younger brother. I do.
0: Okay. Um, I didn't know if they were, if you know, they were involved in any way.
1: No, no, not at all.
0: Okay. Mm-mm. Okay. So now we've got. No. So now we've got, Angeline solo and (laughs) what um, what was your first because I know you're breaking you know breaking the silence and breaking through what what was your first boost of self-esteem after your divorce
1: well my first boost of self-esteem is that I was able to move up here to Saratoga Springs Just leaving, you know, just, and I didn't, I lived in a small one bedroom apartment, not where I'm living now, but I lived in a small one bedroom apartment on the other side of town. And I remember when I moved and, you know, there was very little furniture, just, you know, the basics. I felt so relieved. I felt like a million pounds was lifted off my shoulders. It's like, I don't have to answer to anyone now. It's like, wow, freedom now. I did was. He,
0: did he stalk you or harass you?
1: He stalked me during the divorce. Actually, what happened was he that's stalked me after. Too, right?
0: that's yeah, that's common.
1: common. So, the, so when I moved, um, I had a witness there and also there were two big guys who moved. So that was, you know, that was enough. So, um, yeah. So anyways, so you know, I made sure that I was protected. I made sure that I, you know, that I was safe because what happens is after the abuse, after you leave, that's when the danger happens actually. And I actually had the protective order in place. So it was not running out, but it was like a couple of months left. So I went to the local police department here in Saratoga and I gave it to them. Um, because you know, I didn't want him to travel up here and actually he never did travel up here. So I didn't, I never saw him again. Um, you know, but he actually stalked me on LinkedIn. So I had a LinkedIn account and he stalked me for six months.
0: Yeah. Just for women who might be, uh, or men, who might be uh, about to really you know pull the scab and real or pull the band-aid here and really try to get out of the situation you said the danger often starts after could you elaborate on that sure sure um,
1: you, would think I, the
0: danger would, you, you would think the danger would happen when you're lying in bed together and he can grab you by the throat well uh, that can
1: happen too but we weren't sleeping together at that point you know during my transition but like he had manic depressive disorder and um, you know, so there were a lot of concerns. I was able to prove that, you know, he, you know, he had mental health issues. It just turned out that he had a, a whole slew of mental health issues. So I made sure that I moved far enough away that he wouldn't contact me, you know, that he would not call me. And I never heard, I did not hear from him again. The only thing he did was, like I said, he struck me on LinkedIn for six months and then that, I reported it. So I reported it that it was a fake account.
0: Create distance, Mm -hmm. um, get a restraining order if necessary.
1: Right, right. Have a
0: place, have a place to go. I mean, you mentioned you went to Saratoga to your friend. Right. You know, you, you can't just do this by fly by the seat of your pants, right? No,
1: no, no, you have to have an exit plan in place. So I had that plan in place and then when I would come up here and look for an apartment, because it was go time, because it was uh, February and the, the divorce became final actually in, on May 11th, I had to, I had to make my move and just do it. So, I remember just getting in the car, driving up here, looking for an apartment. I was looking, 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 and looking, and then finally something opened up. It's actually the same landlord that I am with now, you know, for 14 years. So I felt very grateful. When they called me and they said that we have an apartment for you, I drove up and made the security deposit because I had to come up with the money. So I had some money that I pulled one of my I found out that not I found out I had an IRA I had to withdraw from it because there was no other money so I you know I had to make plans I Kate I drove up here made the security deposit the one month's rent to secure the apartment and then you know two weeks later I moved so I didn't even stay in the house the last month I stayed at a hotel that faces the Hudson river. And I knew the owner because we did business together at one time and he let actually let me stay in the suite for free, Oh wow. which is a blessing. Yeah. yeah. So I had my own room and yeah, he said, just stay here until you're ready to go. And then I had, you know, then I moved and then I had to go back to the house and finish packing. And there was, I remember driving back this was like a week before I moved <clears throat> and he said you're not allowed in the house. He said because of something. So I called the New York State Police and they came and they ordered him to leave for 2 hours. Wow.
0: So they actually told you know, him the to leave. The old saying money doesn't buy happiness. I mean you had you had this four bedroom home and so on, but you were happier than ever in your apartment.
1: Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, no way that I would, you know, live with him. And I had a very good support system, too. So I went out and, you know, made new friends. And I would go out by myself and just go to a coffee shop and just, you know, meet people and just have coffee, you know, that to take my mind off it, you know, to, you know, take my mind off it. That helped me tremendously. So I created a huge support system, Um and they did not like him at all. It was just like I know what a couple of people wanted to do, but I said, That's okay, I'll just get even with my pen <laughs> and that's it. Well, it's okay, I'm I'll be fine. I know what you know, my lawyer, I know what they wanted to do, but I said, No, don't do that <laughs> So
0: So as so as the as the years went on Right um, How do you continue to have Self validation. How do you continue? What, what are you doing to keep yourself, you know, you wake up in the morning and you, you've got something to accomplish. What, what are your goals when it comes to this situation today? Because domestic violence is as much as it's talked about, it's, there's still such a stigma. So what, what's your, what's your advocacy now?
1: My advocacy now is to help women amplify their voice to help them break their silence and to empower them to step into their own purpose and truth. So this is one of the reasons why I started my podcast four years ago is because I wanted to be that voice for women. And I am today, you know, through, you know, today. So my advocacy is, you know, empowering domestic violence survivors that they can live on their own, that they can regain their power. And I was talking about this this morning because I was a speaker at a virtual summit, um, with over 300 people, 300 women in attendance this morning. And this is, you know, basically, you know, I took ownership. So it's the self discovery process. You know that when you reach your breaking point like I did, you just surrender and draw a line in the sand and you're and I and I just said that's a I said that's a done done. I will do what I have to do because there are a lot of women I don't I understand that they feel stuck in everything, but it's that mindset shift and shifting that limiting belief because unfortunately they've been conditioned to not believe in themselves. They've been, condi- you know, like, they're basically, they're, as far as verbal abuse, that is a lot worse than physical abuse because their self-esteem is down. You Why know, do you
0: you know th- there's so much advocacy for uh, domestic violence um, victims. Why in the beginning do we not have more of a conversation about how to go into a marriage to be loving and nurturing and respectful. I mean it's it's like we, we're doing the cleanup rather than teaching the behavior so it doesn't even ha- – I mean I don't feel like that's as – does that make sense? Like why don't we have more um, of a vocal um, –
1: passion for
0: how how men should treat women or how you know men should treat men in relationships or gay marriages or anything it it just seems like well you get married and then you just are supposed to be nice i mean and i know that should be your natural reaction but i feel like we don't have a lot of programs and support to model this okay you're gonna get married this is This is proper behavior. You know, why don't we teach that in schools? Why don't we teach?
1: They should teach it in schools, and they don't. This is the problem. It's a stigma. Domestic violence is a subject that no one wants to talk about. And they should teach this in schools about, not domestic violence, but about marriage and meeting, you know, or even college. They don't teach this at all, at all and that's why one out of two marriages end in divorce now it's it's i mean and domestic violence during covid increased i mean it was really bad i think it went up like three thousand percent and in new york state the shelters were closed so it was really really bad and that's when a lot of women were reaching out to me and i remember one woman who reached out to me she had a small child You know, she was married to this guy in New York City who was, you know, an abuser. She was crying on the phone and I don't know what to do. I don't know. So I finally helped her. I, She snapped out of it. It was just something that I said to her. I said, you just have to make a plan. And because she told me that the shelters were not open, but the office was open. But I said, you have to push. I said, you have to go to the office, go to family court. And you have to like, when I went to family court, I spoke up and I had no children. And I said, you just have to tell them, you know, that my life is in danger, you know? And, um, and also yes, the police need education on narcissism abuse because nine times, like I had to leave the house. I had to leave the house when I called not that he left the house right. i have believed there's not enough education and it needs to be addressed i mean um, you know there's an org- there's an organization up here in Saratoga we don't work they help domestic violence survivors they have educational programs um you know for the survivors but you know the police need to step it up yeah they need to step it up and actually teach this, you know what I mean? They they need to, you know, they need training, they, you know, and also when I got my order of protection, I was warned by the sheriff's office, they said, do not rescind the protective order, because once you rescind it, that they would not help, that they would not assist, so sometimes, you know, maybe There are women who feel afraid, you know, and they just want to rescind the protective order. But guess what happens? The police are not going to cooperate. So I had that cooperation from the police because I just was very vocal. And I said, you know, my life is I I said when I'm at the house, I just don't feel comfortable. And when I need to go someplace, you know, I'll let you know where I'm going. So that's what I did. So I made a plan and they would come to the house. They would even help me put the suitcase in the car and I would tell them I'm going here and I'll be back on Saturday or Sunday or something like that. You ever,
0: so, do you ever see speakers who are men or women who used to be the abusers tra- talking to others about how to not fall into the behaviors that they did? Because I never see that.
1: No, I don't see it. No, no.
0: Do you think that would be a good thing? Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, I've I met women. I never see like my name's you know my name's Ryan, and mm. I am I am not proud, and I'm a, I hate to say I was married, and I was physically abusive. I spent X amount of years in jail, and I am here to teach young men and women, if necessary. Mm-hmm. What you know that I I did it. This is the harm it caused. You know, mm. These were the these were the background issues. I don't want you to go on the same path I did. We have to learn to love and respect our spouse. I mean, you don't ever see programs like that.
1: I haven't seen it. No, I haven't seen it. Not to my knowledge.
0: I mean, maybe That's men it. are ashamed to maybe men are ashamed to get up on a stage and say, you know, I used to beat a woman. But I mean, I just mm. feel like there's a place for that. Do you agree?
1: Oh, I agree absolutely. I mean, I've seen. Now, you know, I'm glad that you brought this up. I've seen men come out and they talk about that they were addicted to alcohol, that they had a prop, and now they're helping other men. But as far as, you know, I can't think of anyone right now, but if I do, I'll let you know. Yeah. Um, I, just, yeah, because you don't hear I mean, it. it.
0: It may be uncomfortable for, for, and it, you know, it's, it's your call. It's your, it's your livelihood and so on, but, I mean, to ha- to have that podcast interview, I think would be so interesting to listen to. And of course, oh, this has to be, of course, this has to be somebody who has, you know, done a lot of uh, self-work and, you know, counseling and understanding and, you know, re- really a recovering. I guess you call it a recovering abuser. Exactly. Exactly.
1: Uh, and I I I've never seen that. I have never I seen love, it.
0: Um, I would love to hear that conversation. That, but I just don't Me feel too. like I, see I just don't feel like you see that.
1: No, you don't. You don't see it. No.
0: You know, and it may not make a huge dip in domestic violence, but it surely couldn't hurt.
1: I agree, and they would bring awareness. I mean, you know, like let's say that there's a guy who is a coach, a man. He can help other men. He can help other men, yeah. But I haven't heard of anyone. No, I no. think
0: it would add. I think it would add more if it was someone who was an abuser.
1: Exactly. Exactly. I
0: mean, exactly. These are hypotheticals, but I just thought, gosh, that would be, you know, something to see.
1: Absolutely, so, I would love to see that.
0: Yeah. Uh, one I last thing was- here. Um, for you or for women that you've worked and coached how do you mm. how do you advise them when they perhaps are beginning to develop feelings for a new man or woman cuz we are human well
1: yeah i know i yeah that's a good question the first thing i tell them is the the biggest mistake that they can make is to start looking for another man because guess what? They haven't completely healed from trauma, from the trauma and the abuse. So what I did was I learned to love myself. I learned to go out on dates by myself, which I still do today. 14 and a half years later, I'm still single. And, um, so I love on myself. I buy myself flowers every week. You know, I take myself out, you know, a few days, you know, like, oh, I, I used to go to yoga classes and I would do all these things and, you know, become involved and have outlets for myself. And that really helped me heal. That helped me heal. I was journaling. I was doing meditations. I immersed myself in, you know, personal development and mentorship. I've invested over $50,000 in myself to get to where I am today so you know my advice is work on yourself first love well, on yourself say, first
0: let's say someone has what would let's say someone hypothetically has i mean some people get have a relationship they're 26 years old you know they want to perhaps mm-hmm. they could perhaps have a loving wonderful marriage with children down the right. road you know? so Right. what would or any age uh in a relation if someone has done you know the the self-evaluation the brutal honesty and they do begin to date mm. let's just and I'm not saying you're going to date but let's just say hypothetically if you were to meet someone what would be the first thing that you would make sure is is or is not present that you would, this hat this is a non-negotiable
1: non-negotiable is not to put me down or find some sort of fault. Because that's a sign. That's a sign. If they cannot make eye eye contact with me, then let's call it a night. My girlfriend used to do that. Actually, one of my friends who's divorced and she's one of my best friends and she lives here, she actually said that to... <laughs> like, she would go out and um, she would say, well, let's just call it a night because she was not happy at all. Like, it was... Now she's in a much better place. I mean, she has a boyfriend. They're not married yet, but that's okay. They've been living together, I think, for about three or four years. But they, you know, everything is good now. And she came from a bad marriage, from an abusive marriage. So, you know, she learned. Actually, she learned a lot from me. And, you know, to love on yourself. I said, love on yourself first. And, you know, there was a guy that she used to go out with, and he was, he cheated on her. And I just said, you know what, forget it. Forget it. Move on. Move forward. Move. Just move forward. So
0: for women who perhaps want to date is they they cannot be putting you down.
1: Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Forget that. If they start to put you down, then forget it. Forget it.
0: Get out before the real
1: Right, right, right. Look for the signs. Exactly. Exactly. And
0: how do you, and lastly here, I mean, how do you ever trust, how do you ever trust someone? How do you ever be vulnerable to somebody again?
1: Well, trust is a big issue with, um, you know, with, it's not so much of a big issue now with me, but like when women are coming out of abuse, trust is a huge issue. They have trouble trusting because They've been hurt, they've been hurt and you know I always say you know work on yourself first because because um, when when you're ready to go into a relationship you have to be completely healed from the trauma completely healed not 90% it has to be 100% because if not you're going to attract the wrong people in your life because what you put out there to the universe is going to come back. So if you're putting out good to the universe and you've completely healed, you will attract the right people. You know, the, and you know, I'm not in a rush. I'm open to it. Um, but I am not rushing. I am not rushing. You know, even when it comes, I mean, I am, I feel very grateful that I have a lot of male supporters. I have a lot of male supporters who support me. I mean, there are coaches who support me, who support my cause. And, you know, Ben, you know, who are, you know, a lot of them are on a higher level than B or they're just, they have a huge influence. Um, so, you know, look for the triggers, you know, it, but you have to be completely healed and it can be done You because I completely healed. So, you know, even with a friendship, you know, if I have a male friendship, but if I feel that they're gaslighting and I actually recently had to let go of someone who I thought was a good friend and forget it. I just um, I just let let that person go because he was no longer, you know, he was gaslighting me and, you know, he would ignore my messages. And I said, you know what? Oh, time to go. <laughs> See you later.
0: <laughs> I good, wish you all
1: the best. It's
0: good that you're self aware. Mm. You know,
1: self aware, right? Self aware. As far as the triggers are concerned, you you know, like I've reached the point where, I mean, for myself, maybe a trigger will come up, but I can manage it better. It's just it happens. You're going to have triggers, but you know, um, what I'm saying is. You know, just um just work on yourself and you know, and I've taken healing courses, I've worked with healing, you know, I've worked I've worked with coaches and um, they've helped me heal. Like completely heal from the trauma because going through domestic violence there's a lot of trauma. A lot a lot of trauma. So
0: So if a woman If a woman or man is on the verge of making big changes Mm. and you could get on the telephone with them and tell them one sentence before their spouse hangs that phone up and pulls it out of the wall, what would you say to that victim?
1: I would tell her to, um, you know, that's a good question. I think I would tell her to get help. I would tell her to get help. I mean, I remember like being on the phone and I remember like my ex was like around me and I, I, what I did was I walked into another room because we had a big house and I would just lock the door and I would, you know, talk on the phone. But I, I, you know, I would seek, you know, I would give them encourage, I would encourage them. I would encourage them, you know, it's okay not to be okay. You're going to be fine. You know, just stay calm, take a couple of deep breaths, and this is what you're going to do. And and this girl who called me from New York City four years ago, I walked her through the steps, and she found a place. She found a one-bedroom apartment outside of New York City because something that I said to her just shifted that mindset because she felt stuck. She was stuck. You know, most of them, like a lot of them who call, like, I do a lot of like um, interaction on Facebook. They come to me and they feel lost. They are so lost and they they're just not. So I calm them down. Yeah, I you know I I, ha, I have that way. You know I listen to them, calm them down, let's assess the situation, and then I'll give them steps. So I gave her some resources to check out, and she did it. Just that 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 quickly. <laughs> just like that, she moved out and she was out of the house in one month. And she called me and told me and, oh, I would love you know, she was just like, I didn't charge her any money. Why would I charge her money? Because she was in a bad state. I mean, yeah, so I, I helped her get out of it. Well, right, the victim has to leave. Exactly, Wendy. Exactly.
0: Well, Angeline, I want to thank you for really being brutally honest. I mean, sometimes, you know, I ask questions and people have to sit and think for a second because, you know, I'm always full of questions. So you, okay. answered, you answered every single question. You were open and honest. And mm-hmm. I hope that people listening realize that, you know, we only have one life and you got to make the best of it because there's so much bad in the world Don't allow your own little circle to be bad, too, you know?
1: Exactly. Exactly. Life is worth living, so live it. Right. Live
0: it. Live it. And just for people listening, the name of your podcast so they can check it out is what?
1: Let's Break the Silence with Angeline. It's on Spotify, Apple, Google, and all the live streams, and the link tree is in my bio so they right. can yeah
0: yeah well well angeline and everybody thank you so much for listening i hope that you know our discussion of domestic abuse is inspiring and also i hope it pissed you off a little bit cuz some of the things she told me pissed me off <laughs> so uh please check out all the episodes thank you so much for listening to podcasty with ryan and we will talk to you all very soon be a decent human being bye